Hey guys, it's RJ and Angie, and this is the Rich by Intention podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest on the podcast, Bola Sukumbi, the founder of Clever Girl Finance. Clever Girl Finance is one of the largest personal finance platforms for women in the United States. Bola has such an amazing story that's going to inspire so many. In the episode, we discuss how her mother influenced her work ethic to her statement to the U.S. House Committee on the challenges women and minorities face accessing financial services and capital. Yes, Bola is an amazing woman, and we're so grateful to have her on the show. You will definitely get a lot out of this episode, so thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Button, and also follow us on Instagram at Rich by Intention for money tips and inspiration. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for coming on, Bola. We're so grateful that you could come on our podcast and really just share your story and just the motivation for creating such a wonderful brand, Clever Girl Finance. We've been following you for some time, several years now, and we just love the growth and what you're able to do and just educate people about personal finance. So we're glad you could come on today. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and to share with your audience. Yeah, no, it's awesome to have you on the Rich by Intention podcast. And for those who do not know who you are, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, Bola? Yeah, so I am an author. I'm also, like you mentioned, the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. And we are an online financial education and empowerment community that focuses on women or anyone who's interested in joining us. And the goal is to empower people to get to the point where they're living life on their own terms because they have their finances in order. And we do that with a completely free platform where we offer over 30 plus free courses, content, video, podcasts, et cetera. So that is the mission, empowering women. So Bola, you've built an astounding platform for women. And one of the things I love about it is that you offer so many resources to women, you know, especially women of color. What really inspired you to create Clever Girl Finance? So a lot of the inspiration behind Clever Girl Finance comes from my mom and just watching my mom as I was growing up and then beginning to see some of her own experiences in my own adult life. Uh, My mom got married really young. She was 19 years old when she got married. Well, young in those times. (laughs) And uh, she had a high school diploma. My dad was already a PhD holder and he was 30 something years old. And, you know, just typically back then, the mom's job was to be a stay at home mom and take care of the kids. And the dad was the provider. And my mom was that she had four kids. And as she got into her 30s, she started to see things with her friends and other women in her life that just made her feel uncomfortable. She was seeing friends who were in abusive relationships and they couldn't leave because they didn't know anything about the family finances. She had friends who unfortunately had lost a spouse uh, or a partner and they just, the family would come in and take over everything and they wouldn't know anything about the finances. And there were even occasions I remember as a little girl sitting in our living room in the corner, watching my mom console a friend who had nowhere to go and they were spending the night with their kids in our house. So as I started to get older, I started to see a lot of those similar happenings as I was getting married, having kids, friends and co-workers, acquaintances who could not leave bad marriages or bad situations, bad relationships because of the financial 
finances behind it, friends who had no idea of how money was being managed in their household because their partner did everything. And I remember coming out of college, um, walking into a bookstore and just wanting to learn about personal finance. And for some reason, I wanted to pick up a book that was specifically for women. And I couldn't find a personal finance book for women. I could not find one by a woman. There were books on wills and trusts and real estate, but I wanted a personal finance book for women. And I ended up finding one um, written by a white man that was a New York Times bestseller. And I was like, wait a minute, why is this book for women written by a white guy? But you know what? I'll buy it anyway. And it was a great book, but it, it just opened my eyes that there was not enough resources for women and hardly any resources for women of color. And so I I got to a point where I had my kids and I, I, I was just thinking about what to do differently in my own life. It wasn't about building a business, but just wanting to do something that mattered outside of being a number at a job. And everything I thought about or I brainstormed about for the two years where I was thinking about it came back to money because I always talked about money with my friends and with my family and what I was doing. So that's where the idea for Clever Girl Finance came from in a long story. (laughs) No, I mean, I think that's amazing, right? And I think so often, you know, women are not involved in the conversations about money in the household. And I love that you took the initiative to really change that for so many women. And not only that, that your mom influenced you. Yes. I've, I've read a little bit about your mom's story. And I'd, I'd love for you to just kind of go into that more a little bit, because your mom has an amazing just story about how she was a stay at home mom, which is a hard job in itself, mm-hmm. <laughs> mind you, but she took the initiative to like, just really get educated and just built her own knowledge around personal finance. Can you just kind of help the listeners understand the story about your mom just a little bit more? Yeah. So I, I always call my mom the OG clever girl because <laughs> she's, she's the reason. And whenever I talk to her, I'm like, Hey girl. But um, yeah, you know, my mom seeing what was happening with her friends, like I mentioned, she didn't want to be in that situation. And so she decided that in her mid thirties, she was going to go get her college degree. And so I went with my mom to all of her college classes and she went on to also get her master's degree. And, you know, it, it was something that caused tension in our household because my dad was like, well, why do you want to go back to school? Why do you need to be able to have your own money? Is what I'm doing for the family not enough? You know, coming from traditional Nigerian household where the man is the provider and there's a lot of pride in being the provider. He found that very difficult to to accept but my mom was adamant she's like listen I'm I don't care what anybody thinks I don't care what you think I'm gonna go get my own degree because I want to make my own money and so she did that and as soon as she got out of college my mom started working in investment banking she started side hustling she had a big she had a girl's school. She had a hairdressing salon. She had a Coca-Cola franchise. She had all these different things that she was just into. And after school, as soon as she picked me up, we were going to one business or the other Saturday and Sunday. I was in the car with her. We were going to one business <laughs> or the other to check up on this. And that was also just part of, you know, coming from Nigeria. That's everybody has a side hustle, you know, economic instability. So You'd, it was just normal. And fast forward several years later, my mom becomes the breadwinner of our family because my dad went through health issues and he had to retire about 15 years earlier than planned. And my mom was in a position where she was able to help me go to college at the expense of her own long-term and retirement plans. But, you know, just her making the decision to be intentional and 
wanting to stand on her own two feet really allowed her to be able to support our family in the future. And that's something that everybody is grateful for. That's amazing. Her, you know, being able to go back to school, get great jobs, have great businesses. And then also you came along with her. Can you talk about a little bit of the impact of you being around her when she's going to school and the businesses? I think going with her to school, I didn't quite understand it because I was really young. I remember having to be quiet in the class and it was really difficult for me. And we always sat in the back of the class. But I do remember my mom's graduation. I was there with her. And just seeing her walk across the stage and getting the applause was a very profound moment for me because it felt like she was superwoman and she had done something incredible, even even though I didn't fully understand what it meant. And the fact that she was being acknowledged and now she had this thing that was a degree that could help her do something big. That was something that it's, it's a memory that has always stuck with me. And just by virtue of my mom always being a side hustler, I've always wanted to be a side hustler. Um, and also because, you know, just going back to my background, it, just sitting back and settling and not doing anything has never been an option for me. Both of my parents are first generation to go to primary school, grade school, to high school and to college. And um, my mom and her siblings are all educated. But on my dad's side, my my dad and his brother are the only ones who are formally educated. So my dad's twin sister and my aunties were not formally educated, which means they don't read and they don't write. Um, They don't speak English. And this was simply because my grandfather did not believe in educating the female child. And he also didn't believe in colonial education, which Nigeria was colonized by the British. There were just a lot of distrust going back to like slavery days and all that kind of stuff. So he didn't believe that. But my grandmother really wanted my wanted some of her kids to go to school. And she figured that if anybody was going to go because the value of the male child in that world was higher, she would send her sons and she would figure out how to send her son. So my dad went to, to school and my, and his twin sister did not. And so just knowing that of my family background, just the hustle has always been in me to make my parents proud, to make my family proud, to continue to change the narrative of where we come from and the poverty that my parents grew up with. And so even in college, I was an Avon girl selling Avon to all my mom's friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I've always been, you know, I had a candy business when I was a little kid. I, I always was getting into one thing or the other. Even when I was working full time and making a six figure salary, I was still I was a wedding photographer and I was still hustling. So that's something that my mom passed on to me and something that I've, I've always done just because I've, I've just wanted to make my family proud. It's amazing. Like just hearing your mom's story and how that has influenced you so greatly is super inspiring. And one thing that you said, you know, you mentioned that your mom went back to school in her 30s, right? And I think that's such a great message for our listeners, because it's never too late. Oftentimes we think, you know, well, I'm no longer in my 20s anymore. So it's over for me if I don't reach this milestone by the age of 30 or whatever we might have in our heads of our own timeline. You know, I think it's just encouraging to hear how your mom, became an investment banker in her mid thirties, started all these side hustles, and then was just a great inspiration to you and all of the great things that you're doing and all the things that you're going to do in the future. So can you just tell us a little bit more about how kind of got on this personal finance journey yourself? Yeah. So my mom supported me to go through college, not because we had a money tree in the back of our house, but because 
at the time I graduated high school in Nigeria and there was a lot of economic instability. So there were strikes in the colleges, you know, two, three years. I had cousins that it was taking them seven years to complete a four-year degree. And so my parents were like, well, let's see if we can have you go abroad to go to college, either in the U.S. or in Europe, because I was born in Europe, to see if we can we can make that work so you don't hang around not doing anything because there is a college strike. And so I got accepted into the college my mom went to (laughs) and it came down to paying for it. My mom was like, you know what? I've been putting some money aside and I will pay for you to go to college. um, But understand that this is not a privilege. This is not your right. This is this is me helping you go to school. And your goal is to do well and succeed and make us proud. That is what you owe me. So going to college that way, knowing my mom was working like crazy to to convert into dollars because I went to an American university at a very high exchange rate was a big deal. So coming out of college, I just wanted to to make money and make it fast. And I remember graduating and while I was applying for jobs, I was like, I I can't just sit around and not do anything. I'm going to go apply for a job at CVS until I get a real job. And so I went and I worked at CVS for minimum wage at the photo department until I got a full-time job a few weeks later. And I just wanted to to save and invest and help my parents. And so I started figuring out what, how does that work? You know, coming from Europe, coming from Nigeria, not really understanding the American money system, even though I had also lived here when I was younger, I started looking for books and going back to that story of walking into the bookstore. I started looking for blogs of people who were online writing about their journeys. And I got inspired that way. And I decided to start contributing to my 401k because my employer told me they were going to give me free money. And I started to teach myself how to invest. I started to save as much money as, as I could. I got really aggressive with my savings. And I remember walking into a financial planner's office and just wanting to make sure I was on the right path. And he was asking me all these questions. And I thought he was asking me the questions because he was trying to help me with my plan. But he was asking me things like, oh, are you married? Where did you get this money from? Why do you have this money? Um, <laughs> and he wow. was just, I was so upset that I left that I didn't, he didn't help me do anything. I was like, wait a minute. He did that to me because I was a woman. If it was, if I was a man who walked into this office, he would never ask me where I got the money from or was I married? Who gave me the money? So I just took it upon myself to start to learn how money worked. I made lots of mistakes. <laughs> Yeah. But that that was just that was just my goal. And that was what led me on the path to my own financial wellness. But that was something that was happening in the background because I was, you know, Clever Girl Finance was nowhere near, was not on my radar, was not on my landscape. I didn't even know I was going to do anything related to personal finance. But I just wanted to achieve financial wellness for my own self. No, I think the fact that you took the initiative, right? Because oftentimes we can, you know, be so up, so in our heads, right? And say, you know what, this didn't work out. Just having that experience alone with a financial planner can make people just say, you know, well, I'm just going to stop here. But you didn't let it stop you. You took the initiative and you tried to find the information for yourself so that you can equip yourself and put yourself in the best position. So can you tell us a little bit more? Because, you know, you took all the information, you read the books, you read the blogs, you sought out a variety of different resources that led you to save your first $100,000. Like that's a huge feat. How did you actually do that? Yeah, I haven't talked about that story in a while. But <laughs> yes, I, I I didn't set a goal to save $100,000. I set a goal to just save as much as I could save. And the closer I got to saving six figures, the more realistic it became like, wow, I'm actually doing this. And I remember 
I, like I mentioned, I started by contributing to my employer's 401k. I didn't understand what it was. I had never invested before, but they told me they were going to give me free money. So I contributed enough to start to get the free money. And as the couple of years went by, I ended up maxing that out. I saved over half of my salary I got. I would pay my mortgage because I bought a condo as soon as I graduated from college. I would pay my car note. I had a car note of like $200 or $150, something like that. And um, I would buy ramen noodles and Coke, terrible diet. (laughs) (laughs) And I would save the rest. Um, I was the girl that was always at work. I worked as a consultant. So, you know, if we were at work after 7 p.m., they would order dinner. So I would find every reason to stay at work until 7 p.m. So I could be there for dinner. I got to a point where the executive assistants knew who I was because I was always walking around conference rooms. It was our main office was a really big office building. I was always walking around conference rooms to see um, who was retiring, who was having a baby shower, who was having a birthday, because there was always food there and I would get lunch that way. And eventually they would start to like be like, hey, boy, guess what? There's extra food. So and so (laughs) be here at 12 p.m., you know, even Mm -hmm. breakfast meetings. And when I would go to client sites, I would do the same thing. I would make friends with the admins. I would walk around the office. Are there bagels? Are there donuts? Is whatever is happening for food? I wanted to be there. So I save that way. Um, I was very mindful on how I used credit. I was very scared of getting into credit card debt because I had stumbled in college with credit card debt. And so uh, I had a charge card, which is an American Express card where you had to pay your balance of full at the end of the month. So I used that. And then I started a side hustle. I started um, my wedding photography business. I I had an online retail business as well. And I would manage that after work and on the weekends. And it was really hard, especially being a wedding photographer, editing thousands of photos, doing events on Friday night, Saturday and all day Sunday. But those were that was those are the main things I did to save the money. And it, it just started to add up slowly. I, I started working um, in New York City, earning about $54,000 before taxes. So after taxes, that was, that was about 40K. But I figured out how to how to save, you know, living in New Jersey, commuting to the city, trying to eat as much as, as at work so I wouldn't have to spend that much. And just saving every tax refund I got, every bonus I got, even though my bonuses were small, like I would get like a $1,500 bonus and then to be taxed at 50%, but then I would save the whole $750. And then I saved every raise I got. So I just continued to act like I never got a raise Mm -hmm. and every raise I got, I would save. And my wedding photography business really helped me save more money, especially as I got towards that three-year mark, because I got to a point where, you know, one, one of those years I made like $70,000 from being a part-time photographer and I paid my taxes. I bought new equipment and I saved a lot of that money. So those are some of the things that I did that really, really helped me save. And I remember having slip ups like I would want to go shopping and I'd go shopping and buy all the things and then I'll go back and return all the things that I bought. Cause I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you're trying to save girl. What are you doing? So exactly. it, it, it wasn't easy, but those years of sacrifice, I think it it was totally worth it. And I'm glad I did that. No, I think, you know, just for our listeners, what you said, the word right there, sacrifice, right? You know, temporary sacrifice for long term, long term Mm -hmm. satisfaction. So, you know, sometimes we don't want to do the hard things in the moment, right? But doing the hard things now, will pay off in dividends for you in the future. And so I think just the the small things you did just to kind of reduce expenses, right? You know, I love the story about how the executive assistant started to know you because, <laughs> you know, you would stay late and wait for food, right? Like free food, free good yes. food, right? 
And I think what I want to say is that like, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in just, you know, trying to seek out what are ways that I can get the things I need at a reduced cost. And so oftentimes a lot of companies do have those free meals for people, right? You know, whether it's through baby showers, like you said, or retirement parties, and there's no shame in that and trying to figure out almost gamifying, right? That's something RJ and I did when we were trying to pay off our debt, we would gamify it. Okay, how can we get something at a reduced cost? Mm. We didn't do anything that was illegal. (laughs) But we tried to gamify it and figure out how do we reduce our expenses and, you know, just still get what we want to enjoy out of life. Yeah. Yeah. You talked a little bit about credit card and some of the mistakes that you made during this journey. Can you talk a little bit about those and what you learned from them? Yeah. So my first credit card experience was in was in college. And this was a time where, you know, you go to the career fair and there was a credit card table at every fair or multiple. That is no yes. longer allowed. It's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, yeah. but that was the era in which I went to college. And I remember going to the career fair and the first table I stumbled into was a credit card table. And, you know, I was like, oh, what is this? They were giving away free T-shirts or free pens. Like, I want a free T-shirt. I want a free pen. Lee's like, well, you know, you have to apply for the credit card and um, we'll give you this credit card and we'll give you the, you'll get the free T-shirt. I was like, wait a minute. You know, I don't think my mom is going to approve of me getting a credit card because I I, I, ha- I have a part-time job on campus and it only pays me $116 every two weeks. Uh, I can't afford to pay for a credit card <laughs> earning 200 and something dollars a month. But she's like, you know, so I left the table and the next career fair, I went back and I found the same lady with the same table <laughs> and I told her the same story. And she's like, oh, your mom doesn't need to know. You know, we can just send the credit card to your apartment, your dorm room. Uh, so I signed up for it. And I got a $2,000 limit to me. It was like a billion dollars. And I went shopping. I went to BB, which is no longer around. I went to Charlotte Roos, which is also no longer around. I bought a bunch of crap. (laughs) And then I forgot all about the credit card. And then uh, 30 something days later, I get this bill. (laughs) And all I remember seeing on the bill was your interest rate is (laughs) 24.99%. Where am I going to get $2,000 from. So I call my mom and she's like, are you crazy? Is that what I sent you to school to do? I'm working here, killing myself, trying to help you pay your tuition and you're getting a credit card. She's like, you better figure it out. You better figure it out. So I had to like, you know, I used my, my, my paycheck from my job to pay off the credit card and it took me forever, <laughs> but I was scarred for life. I was like, never again, this is the worst experience. And I paid well over the $2,000 that I had borrowed from the credit card company because of the way the interest was compounding. Yeah, no, I definitely relate to that story because they used to have free pizza, free yeah, food. All kinds of junk. They would be at the <laughs> airport. They would be at the college campus. They'd be everywhere. And they just would say same same thing they said to me. It was like, hey, you can just use your you know dorm room or someone else's address to get it. And I remember I opened up you know several cars during that time. So I definitely relate with that. And the, the issue is, is that most college students don't have any income. And it's just no. with the credit card interest 20 plus percent percent you'll some people you have still no credit that today exactly yes. it's horrible so it was, i'm glad that you were able to overcome that and it was a, a life lesson that uh you stick to stick with you today yeah so i do use credit cards but if i can't pay it off then <laughs> it's not gonna happen yeah no exactly i have the, i have the balance in my bank account to pay it off in full exactly exactly, exactly. so like 
what are some tips you would give to women who are who are struggling with debt, right? Who may have a credit card balance, who want to save their first $100,000? What's some actionable advice you can give to the women listening today? I think the most important thing when it comes to paying off debt or saving or achieving a big financial milestone is really just first in setting the intention. You have to get your head in the game. You have to be prepared to do the work at whatever the cost is going to be and not care what people think. And I think sometimes that's a stumbling block because people, we, we self-doubt ourselves. We tell ourselves we can't do this. We reflect on our mistakes and then tell ourselves that we're bad with money. So it's really about getting your head in the game and adjusting your mindset and understanding that it's not going to be a walk in the park. It's going to be difficult. There will be times where you cry. There'll be times where you, you have major setbacks, but you have to commit to, to moving forward. I think that's the first and most important step, like just committing to the process. Um, the second thing I would say is creating a plan and working the plan, right? Having a plan to save, having a plan to pay off debt, having a plan to achieve your financial goal is essentially your blueprint. It is your guide. Once you've laid it out and it makes sense to you and you've assigned a timeline and you have built into your budget, then all you really have to do is work that plan. Um, The challenge people have is just themselves, the self-discipline, the self-motivation, the distractions, their circle of influence. And so it's just finding ways to constantly stay in tune with that intention that you set. So are there people around you that are constantly causing you to derail from your goals? Maybe you spend less time with them. Maybe you don't share what those goals are with them. Uh, You know, immersing yourself in content that's going to help you stay motivated. Podcasts like this one, uh, videos, books, those are all things that will keep you in tune with what you want to accomplish and really finding ways to automate the process so that you don't have to have those mental battles with yourself when you want to go shopping, when you want to go out to eat, but you know that money is designated to pay this bill so you can get ahead of that debt or you can reach that savings goal. So automating your savings, automating your debt repayment when when you know you're getting paid and knowing that if you don't pay that bill, the transaction is going to bounce and you're going to get charged two fees, one from your bank and one from your credit card company. So you know you shouldn't be moving that money because you have to pay this bill. You know, finding ways to just allow yourself to be successful and automation is one of them. So those are some of the things I would say, but, you know, really getting your head in the game and really creating a plan that you can work and then working the plan. Those are the most important things. I totally agree. Like setting the attention and just getting the mindset right is the first thing that people can do, like you said, to just really start paying down debt or any goal that they want to achieve, right? One of the things I want to touch on too is, you know, just going back to the story of your mom and you, for me listening, it sounds like, whoa, do they have the same 24 hours in a day like I do? (laughs) Because you guys are able to accomplish so much, you know, with the limited time that we all have, like, what's some advice you can give to people just, you know, who want to do more, who want to get that side hustle, but you know, there's so much on our plate already. Like, what are some productivity tips that you can share? If I'm really being honest, I struggle with productivity. I have kids. I'm a mom of twins. <laughs> I have my, my house. I'm trying to figure out But I, I would say that you have to have a why you have to have a reason for why you want to pursue what you want to pursue, whether it's with finance, whether it's with business, whether it's with your career, because that's what's going to keep you going when things get hard or things get tough. So that's that's really important. Having a why. Why do you want to achieve this? And this is not because you're trying to impress your family or because of the standards that the world has set for you. This is like a personal 
to you reason why you want to succeed. And it can be whatever you want it to be. There's no rule on what your why should be, but you have to have that in mind. The, the other thing I would say when it comes to productivity is that you're, you're going to have to cut up cut out certain things, right? So I wake up before my kids, before they are, before they have to go to school to try to do some work. I don't watch TV during the week. And even on, on the weekends, I think there's like two shows that I watch and I watch them with my husband. And every time a friend says, oh, let's watch something on Netflix, it can take me like 10 years to watch the thing. <laughs> because mm-hmm. You know, because I, I have to work on other things, you know, so you, you have to determine what is your priority level for what you're trying to achieve and how important is it to you? And I would say working smart, um, which means that you just let go of perfection. Uh, a lot of people want their budget to be perfect. They want their business plan to be perfect. They want everything to be perfect. And honestly, done is better than perfect if you're able to create the budget and track it for part of the month. Maybe don't track it 30 days. That's better than not even creating the budget and not even looking at it at all. If you create the business plan and test your first product, that's better than trying to create the the perfect business plan and never testing a product. So you really have to let go of perfection and just pursue progress. Taking action and pursuing progress is most important. And as time progresses, you will reiterate, you will evolve, you will make adjustments, you will learn the lessons from your failures and you can implement all those things into the next thing. And so I also believe that you can do anything for a short amount of time. When I was starting Clever Girl Finance, I was the only person, the only, I was everybody in the business. I was a social media media and the janitor and the intern and the you name it the writer it was all me and I had a full-time job and I had twins and I would wake up at like 4 a.m and work on my side hustle that was making me no money take my kids to daycare go to work pick them up from daycare figure out dinner bath time and then stay up to like 1 or 2 a.m and I'm not saying that that's how life should be but I'm saying that I did that for a short period of time and if you're hungry enough for what you want to accomplish you can do the hard things for a short window of time in order to get over the hump where you can kind of like ease back and make make your approach more routine and I think sometimes you just have to do the hard things I was always tired sometimes I still am um, I, there were times where I was exhausted and during lunch I would go and sleep in my car for 45 minutes because I just slept for two hours the night before or my kids would wake up in the night and I wouldn't even sleep at all but it was for a short period of time right and I, I think anybody can sacrifice or give up something and do something aggressively for just a short period of time. And this is not to say don't pursue self-care because that's also important. But again, it goes back to your why and it goes back to how hungry you are to accomplish something. And then once you've gotten some headway, then you can kind of ease off a little bit. Yeah, no. My question is like, what's your why, Bola? What is your why? (laughs) My why is just... You know, it's looking at where I come from. It's looking at my aunties who didn't have the opportunity. You know, my my aunts don't read and they don't write. They don't speak English. They're incredibly smart, but it's such an unfair skill because my dad and his twin sister are our best friends, but they have completely different lives just because of education. Um, it's knowing that my parents grew up in poverty. It's it's the memory of seeing my mom's friends in our house helpless and nowhere to go. It's me, the fear of just never, ever wanting to be broke. And it's also creating a legacy for my own kids, for my son and my daughter, so they can say, mommy did this this is something important that my mom did. And even more importantly is just 
the fact that knowing that this business now impacts the lives of so many women and we get those messages, that in itself is just motivation to want to keep going. And that is a why, knowing that what we're doing is helping somebody's life in a positive way, that's incredibly important and also incredibly inspiring. Yes, I think, yeah, the why is so important. Bola, you have proven (laughs) that, you know, just the impact that you've made, you know, for women is just phenomenal. And just it truly is amazing. And so I want to transition into last year, you wrote a statement for the subcommittee on diversity and inclusion under the House Committee on Financial Services. And you discuss the challenges women and minorities face accessing financial services and capital. And you kind of talked about this through your own experience in this discussion. But can you tell us why that was important for you to do? Yeah, so they reached out to me to write a statement for the record. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this sounds really intense. I have to write this Mm -hmm. entire statement. And I had like two days to write it. But I also realized how incredibly important it was for me to have a voice in in that movement and also at that time because of my own personal experiences and because of just what I was observing as the pandemic was 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 starting um you I don't know if you saw the statistics about the PPE loan and support and how you know minorities and women and people of color were just locked out of that process and couldn't get that financial support because they didn't have the banking relationships because they didn't have the um financial knowledge to complete the applications, you know, and just not them not even having the opportunity to get access to the funding where they so desperately needed it. But then you would see big establishments that didn't need the money that were getting millions and millions of dollars. And some of them ended up returning this. And for me as a woman who a lot of people see me as a a personal finance expert, which is what I am, but I'm also a business owner and I'm also a startup founder. And I've also, I'm also Techstars alumni, a tech accelerator for Clever Girl Finance. And I went through the journey of trying to raise capital and being told all kinds of ridiculous things that I know would never have been said to a white person person or a male person, you know, someone told me that my focus on women of color is a gimmick because everybody in America has equal opportunity. Someone told me that if my kids as black kids went to Harvard and they graduated, they would be on the same playing field as anybody else, regardless of their race, because they went to Harvard. (laughs) You know, I got asked, what does my husband think about my business? I got asked things like, oh, you shouldn't tell people you're married or that you have kids because it's too much baggage and it shows that you're unable able to build a successful business. This was all the nonsensical comments that I was being given trying to raise capital for a serious business and trying to have serious conversation. And so, you know, looking at the statistics for women, women raise less than 2% of venture capital every single year. And the venture capital numbers are in the billions. Like I think 2019 was like 85 or 90 billion dollars and women less raise about two percent of that women of color black women latina women raise like 0.0 something (laughs) of that money so it was really important to contribute my voice to talk about my experience to talk about the impact on black people black women other minorities as to how we 
are not given the opportunity, but we're also intentionally shut out, you know, systematically of being ha- of being able to have access to this capital. So that's why I wrote wrote the letter, and that's why that was something that was really important for me to share. On uh, just being able to have a voice and a statement that was going to go on the record as to my opinion about what women and people of color are experiencing. Yeah, it's much needed. I mean, the statistics are, you know, frightening and they need to change and definitely great that you're able to release a statement just to really focus on those issues and tackle those issues. Yeah, having your voice just be a part of that conversation. I mean, just thank you for that, Bola, for, you know, just taking that on and being that voice. And there's no better person than you to really amplify the challenges that women of color face when it comes to raising capital. So thank you Mm -hmm. for that. One question I have is like last year, you decided to make all of the resources or a good portion of the resources on Clever Girl Finance entirely complimentary. Can you talk about that? Because that's really huge. A lot of women don't have access, you know, don't have the funds to get the education that they need. So can you just talk a little bit more about why you did that? Yeah. So, you know, starting out with Clever Girl Finance, one of the dreams I always had was to have a platform that was accessible by everybody. But, you know, I needed to figure out how to monetize. And so we, we've we always had some sort of monetize something, you know, and eventually we ended up being with having monetized courses. And I remember having a conversation with, you know, one of the women who has been on the team for longest, I, I really wish we could figure out how to make these courses free because every now and then we'd get an email from someone saying, you know, I've made all these money mistakes and I really want to take your courses, but I can't afford them. And we would give the course to the person for free. And I just didn't want to be the roadblock or the stumbling block for someone not to be able to succeed with their finances, even if they have made mistakes, even if they blew their whole savings account yesterday on whatever they did. But just when someone gets in the stage of, I want to change my finances now, I, I want to improve my life now, that's an opportunity to help. And so the pandemic, the lockdown for the pandemic was announced on March 13th. And, you know, the first week we got all kinds of terrible messages. Oh, I lost my job. I can't feed my kids if I don't go to work. I really want to get my finances together. We got such a high volume of these messages. And so I, we sat down and were like, if there was ever a time to support our community and just be there for them and offer them a resource, it is right now. And we didn't have a backup plan for that revenue stream. But I was like, we're actually in our comfort zone. It's time to get out of our comfort zone. Let's make these courses free. So within a day, we decided we made the courses free. We canceled anybody that had a subscription with us. And there were some people who asked for a refund because they were they didn't want to have paid for something that was now free. And we offered those re- refunds and we made the platform free. And I was I actually felt very at peace with that because mm-hmm. it was just something I'd always wanted to do. And that opportunity presented itself and we did it. And it was also a time on social media where there was just a lot of I told you so's that was a little disappointing from the finance community. Like, this is why you should have had your emergency savings. This is why you should have been paying off your credit card. This is why you should have had a plan for whatever. And I'm like, there are so many instances that people were struggling that had nothing to do with financial irresponsibility. There are people who couldn't go to work, who were just starting their financial journey, who had a sick child, who had compromised immune systems that they couldn't be out on the street, who were in the process of paying off. There are so many reasons, right? And so I just felt that having a positive uh, foot forward was something that would be, would be um, impactful. And the response was 
overwhelming. We've had over 350,000 course enrollments. We've had over 60,000 women take our courses. Um, and that has just been incredible. And the return from making that those courses free came back tenfold. So I'm so glad that we took that leap of faith and that I trusted my gut and I just made the right decision and not the, at the time, most financially smart decision to support our community, especially with us saying that we're a brand that has a mission to empower women. What better way to empower women than at a crazy, difficult time like that? That was the least that we could have done. Wow. That's amazing. That's and this is why, like, you know, we love Clever Girl Finance. We love your story, Bola. We love the impact that you're making. And, you know, this the statement that came to mind was mission over money. It's such an important mission to empower women, the women like you described you, that your mom helped, you know, the women that were in your living room who didn't have access to finances, who were struggling in domestic situations. And I think it's so important to remember that, right? Money is great, but personal finance and getting control of your finances is so much bigger than that, right? It's you're able to live life on your terms. You're able to send your kids to college like your mom did for you. You're able to do so much once you're able to manage your money with intention. And so thank you, Bola, for all that you're doing in this space. You know, you're, you're a much needed voice to women, to women of color, to everyone. I think everyone can learn a lot from you and what you're doing with Clever Girl Finance and the impact that you're making. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, you dropped so many gems just in terms of starting with your why. And you talked about just perfection. And when I just started that quote, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And mm-hmm. It's so important that we take those action steps. It's so important that we just take one step and just keep on moving forward, even if it's baby steps. And, you know, you through your journey, you just continuously did that and, and believed in yourself and knew your why. And lastly, as you learned, you shared that with others okay. through your brand. So many people have been impacted and their lives have been changed forever. And that's amazing and definitely inspirational. Yeah. So, Bola, where can our listeners connect with you? Uh, you can find me, Clever Girl Finance, at clevergirlfinance.com. You can find my personal blog at bolashakumbi.com. And on our website, you'll find everything about our courses, about our social media, about YouTube. Uh, but we're also on Instagram at Clever Girl Finance. And yeah, I'm in bookstores and on Audible. And wherever you buy your books, you can find the Clever Girl Finance book series there as well. Wow. No, that's awesome. We'll have links to all of this in the show notes. You know, just thank you, Bola. Like you are just phenomenal. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Rich by Intention for money tips and inspiration.